And so today as we look into the Scripture, I want us to determine right now, what legacy do we want to leave? I had a youth pastor when I was in high school. He came for the last two years. Now, he and I were not the closest in the world. He would have been a mentor figure to me. But some of the decisions that he made didn't really push me in the right direction. I graduated high school in 2003, went off to college. Hadn't seen this guy for eight years. The last time I saw him was several months ago when I walked into a church and saw him laying down in his coffin. See, he'd made some decisions during that time that I had not seen him for those eight years that led to eventually his death. It was a very powerful moment for me as I walked into the church. I wasn't expecting to see his face. Someone that for eight years I haven't seen, I walk in and look, there he is just laying there. I mean, this is a guy who is supposed to be my spiritual mentor, who is supposed to be my youth pastor. And immediately it clicked for me. And it, I thought, what would my students say about me if they were to walk in and see me in that situation? Would I have left an impact in their life? Or would they have been in my shoes trying to figure out the good things that He left behind more so than the bad? See, it's important that we all live a legacy so that we leave a legacy. And I believe God lays out in Scripture some great verses for us in Matthew chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open them there now. And we're going to read through this passage. And it's going to lay out several things that we need to see so that we can live a legacy now, so that we can leave a legacy tomorrow. It says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. I want to stop there and we'll continue to read on later. But what's so interesting about this passage is we've been studying James this summer. Did you know that James is considered a commentary for the Sermon on the Mount, which we will be taking the scripture from today? So James kind of, he takes that and adds a little bit more to it. But today these are straight, these words are straight from Jesus' mouth. And so he tells us one that we are the salt of the earth. And as I was thinking about salt, I was thinking, well, one, when food doesn't taste good, we sprinkle a little salt on it. But another thing about salt, and if any of you have been to the beach, you understand, if you have a cut and you step foot in that water, you can feel it. I'll tell you, I had the opportunity a couple years, well, about last year, Christmas time, I believe, we went to Israel. We went down to the Dead Sea. If you don't know anything about the Dead Sea, you know it is the saltiest sea on earth. I went down into the water. It's so dense that you float. And I got in there and I just felt this weird stinging all over me. I thought, what in the world is going on? I got out of the water. I walked out and I looked underneath my arms. And I love Old Spice because it smells good. And the ladies have said that to me. And so that's why I wear it. I don't, I don't care if it you know, works or not. But they said, boy, you smell good. All right, stand right over here. And so I uh, you know, wear those things because of that. But it dried my armpits up so bad. When I lifted it up, it was like cherry red down there. And see, the thing about salt is that it penetrates the nerves and it dries up open pores. So see, what it does is it reveals stuff to us. 
And so when we look at salt, I think the first thing that we need to say is we need to look at God and we say, God, minister to me. God, reveal yourself to me. Show me the things in my life that I need to do to grow closer to you. And he tells us this when he describes us as salt of the earth. The scripture says in Hebrews 4.12, it says, For the word of God is alive and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. When I look at this passage, I see several things that we need to do as a church family. So that God's Word can penetrate our hearts and so that we can grow closer to Him. And the first thing that I see is accountability. Now, what is accountability? I believe accountability is when we are with somebody, they hold us accountable for our actions, they push us in the right direction, they encourage us, they experience this one word, and that is community. See, I think we find accountability in community. That is why it is important that we come here together on Sundays. It is important while we gather other places. It is important while we come here as a family. Now, the reason why is because there are things that you can hide when you are by yourself. But when you come together as a community, you can't hide everything. You might be able to for a long time, but guess what? Someday it's going to be revealed. It's the same thing when you're on a sports team. You can only hide so much until the coach comes and corrects you. Until the teammate, your teammates understand that what you're doing, you need to correct. And so it's important that we come here together as a family, that we come for this community so that we grow closer to God, so we allow Him to minister to us. Another thing is small groups. We talk about small groups all the time. It's like beating a dead horse. But the thing is, we understand the importance of it. Because it is a closer community. And I've told the students as we grow our student ministry, I say, the bigger we become, or the bigger we are, the smaller we become. Well, what does that mean? It means the bigger we grow here, the more seats we fill here, the more community we need to create, the more small groups we need to create. And see, that is your group that you bond with. That is the group that you grow close with. That is the group that when there is someone in the hospital sick, you contact them. You go down there. You minister to them. When someone has a baby, you go down and you rejoice with them. When someone gets a raise or a new job or, or anything that goes on, we rejoice with them, we cry with them, we laugh with them, we pray with them, we live with them. We experience that community. And God tells us that we must do these things to fulfill His commandment, to fulfill His purpose, to fulfill His love, and to fulfill the life that He has given us. Another thing on here is something I'm very passionate about. And that's serving. I think so often we come to church and we say, me, 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 me. But we're not willing to give back. When I was in college, we went down to Pascagoula, Mississippi. It was after Katrina. I wasn't too thrilled about going. This was my spring break. I'd much rather have gone to spring training or something like that. But I decided I was going to go. Now, knowing me, I was frustrated with the trip. One, I didn't have my itinerary. I wanted to know, okay, what in the world are we doing? 
You know, I want to make sure that this thing is organized to the T. I want to make sure, you know, we're going down there. Where are we staying? We're staying at a church. What? Okay, what am I going to be sleeping on? All right, we don't know that. Okay, this was not working out for me because I wanted to know what we were going to be doing. We got down there. And I'll never forget going over to somebody's house where we were putting up drywall. And they're showing us where the water went up to about six feet in their house. I'm telling you, church, they lost everything. I mean, they lost everything. Yet they had Christ and they were satisfied. In that moment, God put me on my face. And He said, shame on you. See, because all I wanted was me, me, me. And it wasn't until I gave back to Him that I got what I needed. God has given you all a gift. He is all, he's given you all a skill. He's given everyone in this room a passion, something that they love. And I'll tell you, church, if you're not using that for His glory, then it's worthless. And you will never be satisfied. God wants you to use that here. He wants you to take that into your community. And again, it is all for whose glory? God's glory. We have opportunities here to serve. We talked about the men's small group, the men's ministry. I look here and see some of my Segway workers who come to the first service and are then going to go over to the house to minister to the fifth and sixth graders. I look in the back and I see Miss Debbie who devotes countless hours to this student ministry because she believes that these kids need to know the gospel. I look over this whole room and see small group leaders. Miss Peggy who comes and prays every Sunday morning for Eric, for the band, for the church, for you who are giving countless hours for this church because they believe in it. And they believe that we need Christ in this community. That we need accountability. That we need small groups. And that we need to give back and serve. And I tell you, church, you will not meet the God that I know to the fullest until you get on your knees and you give back to Him so that others can know Him and know His greatness, know His love, and know His truth. And I tell you what, once you do, you will be so fulfilled. You will be so satisfied because it will be true. It will be authentic and it will be straight from God. And so we allow God's Word to come and to penetrate us to reveal to us the things that we need to do to grow closer to Him. But the other thing that I see about salt is it preserves. Jude chapter 1, verses 17 through 23 say this. It says, But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, In the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt 
Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. The key in this passage is it says that we are to continue to build each other up. See, the first step is when we go into the community, when we have those small groups, when we have that fellowship. But one thing that we need to do is live a life that is edifying. Now, what does that mean? It means that we need to live a life where everybody at the end of the day says amen. In other words, that means we are all in agreement. In other words, there is harmony with our fellowship. See, that's what the Scripture wants. That's what God wants. He wants us to be encouragers. He wants us to rejoice with those when great things happen in their life. This past week at the conference, one of the things that we did was very interesting is the speaker got up and he made uh, he told a story about when he was a kid and something great happened in his life and, and everybody started clapping. It was a really powerful story. And he said, right now what I want you to do is I want you to get in groups. I want someone to tell a story. So the leaders told a story. I, I told one. I forgot what it was. And what we wanted was to see the reaction of the students once the, to- the story was told. See, because what happens oftentimes is when we say something that has happened in our life that is good, something that we want to rejoice in, typically what happens is the person that we're telling it to wants to tell us an even better story that's happened to them. Either that or they just say, okay, cool, great, that doesn't matter. But we don't tend to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. And so the lesson for that is He wants us to rejoice. When good things happen, rejoice with the person telling it. Be glad for them. Praise God for them. Encourage them. Lift them up. Be edifying towards them so that we live in harmony together. Scripture says you are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. So one, we see that we are the salt of the earth, but then we understand this. It says, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? The Scripture says it is no longer good for anything. So when we lose our saltiness, then what are we good for? According to Scripture, it says good for nothing except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. James M. Freeman wrote this in his book, Manners and Customs of the Bible. He said, Salt produced by the evaporation of seawater in hot countries is said sometimes to lose its saline properties. The same result is also sometimes seen in impure rock salt that has long been exposed to the air. When such is the case, there can nothing be done with it but to throw it out onto the highway where men and beasts trample it down. When you go down to the Dead Sea in Israel, you see these huge salt pillars. It's where the salt has then been lifted into the air and evaporated, and it creates these big pillars, and it's what this guy is describing. But it says once it no longer produces uh, what it needs to, to, to be fruitful, that it is good for nothing. And they put it on the streets. When it snows, what do we put down on the streets to evaporate the snow? We put down salt. Now, salt's being used for what it necessarily doesn't want to, but it's still being used for something. And I find this very interesting because it says it's evaporated, and the air, the impure air, is what destroys the salt. So how do you lose your saltiness? One, being exposed to the air. Listen to what Romans 12, 2 says. It says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind 
then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. The Bible tells us that we don't need to be exposed to the world. It could also be looked at as air, but we are not supposed to be exposed to the world. But we are supposed to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does that mean? The word transformed in the Greek means metamorpho, to change into another form, to transform, to transfigure. The only way that this can happen in our life, the only way our minds can be renewed is through Christ. The Scripture says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. The only way that we see transformation take place, the only way that we will not be exposed to the air, is by giving our life to Christ. What does that look like? Mark 8.34 declares it. It says, Then He called the crowd to Him along with His disciples and said, Whoever wants to be My disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow Me. We've got to follow Christ. And everything we do, we've got to follow Christ. And we need to live in such a way where our life brings conviction where our life brings restoration, and where our life brings preservation. Where we preserve the things of Scripture inside of us and allow God's salt to move. The second thing is we say, God, minister to me. We look and we ask, God, minister through me. The Scripture then goes on to read, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. It's so interesting when you go to Israel, most of the towns are up on a hill. And at nighttime, if it were not for electricity that we have now, the only way that you could see another city when you were traveling through at night was to see the ones up on a hill who had their lights up so that all could see. The lights were their traffic lights. It guided them. It helped them. They saw it. And so God says that we must allow Him to minister through us so that others can see Christ living within us. The Scripture says that you are light. Once you follow Christ... You are light. Listen to what Ephesians 5, 8 said. It says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Isn't it amazing to look at this passage? And what's so exciting to me is it says, Live as children of light. What that means is that we are adopted into God's family. This past week, they opened up an opportunity for students to adopt a, a, a child from around the world, one who is, lives in an impoverished nation, and they can't afford the things that we have. And so they encouraged the students to find one and, and, and to pray about it and to just take one on and adopt it. I know we have several in our church that do that here. And I thought for that little child to come home and to hear that somebody has adopted them. So they can experience Christmas this year. They can experience what it's like to have a birthday and to have gifts. But they can experience someone that loves them. The beauty of the gospel is that God loved us. And He extended His arms to us and He said, You are my child. I want you. And He adopts us into His family.
I guarantee you that the little child that became adopted, as soon as they found out, went and told everyone they knew. Oh, the joy that they were experiencing in that time. I could not begin to imagine. And so Christ tells us that we are to experience that same joy and to let every person that we come in contact with know that Christ lives in us. There's a man who lived on a harbor. In that harbor there's some some rocks and and many people would, would come into the harbor with their ships at night. And because of the treacherous condition they would crash and they would they would oh, many would lose their lives. Their ships would be ruined, the people on board would die, and many of the captains lost their life. The man who sat there and, and saw these things happening as he lived in that town said, I'm not going to take it anymore. He couldn't bear the fact to see all these people die the way that they were dying. And so what he did is he went and he sold all his possessions. And on the harbor, he built a house. He built a lighthouse. Day and night, he worked on that house and once it was completed, he stood out there. And as the ships came into the harbor, he turned the light on to make sure that they saw that he was there and to warn them of the rocky and treacherous conditions. Many lives were saved because of this act, but many lives were still taken because only one man can do so much. He prayed day in and day out that God would bring him somebody or someone to help him. Crying out for help. And God answered his prayer because, see, because of this man's act, the people in the community saw what he was doing. And they decided that they were going to give their time, their money, their all to help this cause. The women helped as nurses. They helped cook the food for all those who crashed. The children came and they, they were entertainers for everyone to just give them life, to just make them smile. See, people still crashed, but many more lives were saved. And the thing is, is that together everyone accomplished much and together they made a difference. See, one man was willing to make a difference. One man was willing to impact the lives of others. And as a result of his impact, others united under this man's compassion. And as a result, a community saved many of lives that would have gone unsaved if it were not for them. Because see, here's the thing, the legacy of one can impact another, but the legacy of many can impact the world. We're supposed to be that light. We're supposed to be that community. And we do so in love. John 13, verses 34 and 35 say, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. 
By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We are to bathe ourselves in love so that God can be revealed through us and others can see the light and love of Christ. This past week, the first thing I told the students when we got in the car is that we are a family. And how we act towards each other will determine the bigger witness that we have with everyone else. How we act here, church, how we love one another will determine how the community perceives us. What light do you want to show this community? What legacy do you want to leave? And what legacy do you want to start living today? You cannot leave what has not been lived. So live as salt. Live as light. And you will begin to live like Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today and we ask for your truth to be revealed, God, that you take what was said and that you fulfill it for your glory. God, we praise you for all that you are doing and all that you are. We love you, Lord. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.